just want to mention that Get Out and Three Billboards are set in modern day. So Get Out is a movie that I really enjoyed, but I also find it a bit confusing that it was nominated for Best Picture, because while I think it is a really strong movie, I don't think it's like the best. Yeah, do you think this is the Oscars being like, look, we're um, progressive? I think this definitely is a response to the backlash from last year. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I think this movie is kind of mischaracterized. Like they call it a horror movie, but I kind of think it's more of like a psychological thriller. Mm-hmm. Like a movie with psychological elements. Yeah, actually, like The Shape of Water had more horror to it than this. Yeah, like it's a thriller, I would say. Yeah, a thriller. It's not very violent. It's it's a thriller. Until the end, <laughs> I guess, gets violent. And obviously it's yeah. really cool that Jordan Peele directed this movie and did like an amazingly good job like for directing his first movie and did have a really good cast. Daniel Kulia is amazing. Um, Alison Williams is like subtly terrifying by the end. Yeah, she's creepy. Bradley Bradley Whitford is really good as like sort of the white guilt. Like he pretends to be like the white guilt liberal guy being like, I would have voted for Obama a third term. Oh my God. Oh, I loved his friend. I think his, uh, the, um, the main yeah. guy's friend who helps him is like my favorite character steven roots in it in kind of a creepy role uh katherine keener plays like the mom she's also really good but yeah i love the friend he was like really funny throughout yes so yeah this movie is like really well directed and i love the whole thing from the beginning like you don't really know what's going on you just see this um guy who's named andre and he just gets kidnapped basically and then he reappears later and i thought that was kind of the best scene in the movie Oh, when you realize by that Keith Stanfield yeah. and yeah, there's this great moment where it's just all these white people hanging out. They're having like a picnic party basically. And this guy's there and he's like dressed in this straw hat and all this like white clothes. And he's just like <laughs> saying all this like white stuff. And then you can kind of see a change in his face and he's like, get out. <laughs> yeah. Are they Southern or it's felt very like plantation or just like rich kind of rural ish white people. I mean, this movie kind of made me think of Virginia too, but yeah, I'm not sure exactly where it's at. Yeah, it really did. I mean, we could see where it was filmed. Oh, it was filmed in Alabama. So that makes sense. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's like rich Southern white people. Oh, and I see that this movie was sort of inspired by the Stepford Wives. And that makes a lot of sense because that movie is like all about like women, like feminist stuff. This movie is kind of like the black version of that concept in a way. Right. It's like, here's how the, these upper crust people subjugate, uh, young black people. Yeah. Um, you also had mentioned that this movie is kind of similar to being John Malkovich because it has the same like general premise. Yeah. Stealing bodies. It's body snatching. (laughs) But especially so that these people can essentially live forever. They just like hop from body to body. Right. Exactly. Which I think is also the plot of that altered carbon show that I need to watch. Oh, I think so too. Oh, I, I hated the T rim job, the sound that she would use to interim, uh, into hypnosis. I hated that throughout this movie. I was like, please no more scratching the, the rim of the teacup. <laughs> yeah, it was disturbing. Um, I do think there are some like really disturbing visuals, like when he gets hypnotized and he's doing that whole like frozen in a chair with his eyes, like, uh, tearing up and all that. I thought that was right. like pretty scary. Um, that's the shot they used to like, um, advertise this film. Mm-hmm. Really cool with the image of him falling into the dark place. Not the way they did that was really cool. Or sorry, it's called the sunken place. Sunken place, yeah. It's the upside down or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So it is like a really subtle film. Like it does have that 70s horror vibe where it's just kind of like, what the hell's going on? Why is everyone being so weird? And like particularly the, the housemaid and the groundskeeper 
like he talks to both of them at various points and there's like very robotic being like oh yeah i hope you're having a good time and all this stuff yeah it's really creepy you're not quite sure what the fuck is happening yeah. i think it's a great movie to see like without any knowledge about what it's about just like going cold i think is when it works best because mm-hmm. if you don't know what it's about then it hits even harder when you realize that's basically commenting on uh you know colonialism and owning black bodies and how we act like we're past racism but really it's all this thing about like white people being uncomfortable with black people and this like underlying tension yeah because yeah like you said they're like oh voting we voted for obama or whatever so they're like liberal on the surface they're like liberal white people but then yeah in order to keep themselves afloat or like living forever they have to use people's bodies so they're secretly evil (laughs) right like um allison williams uh probably is the best character because she pretends to be this like woke girl and this woke oh yeah she defends him to the police officer like hey he what he wasn't driving he doesn't need to show you his license or something and it's almost like a twist like throughout the movie you could sort of be like oh maybe she's not in on it maybe her parents are just weird but then like by the end you realize that she's like in it most of all and she's the most pretending to be cool she's the one drawing the boyfriends in She's like, look at me, I have a black boyfriend. Oh yeah, he finds like a box and he realizes that she had just done this like a billion times. Like basically mm-hmm. using her body to attract like other people. Right. Oh, and then it's weird too. Isn't the dad like a neurosurgeon or something and the mom's like a psychiatrist? So they specialize in the two skills they would need to be able right. to do this operation. <laughs> yeah, I'd say like there's a lot of this movie that's sort of just implied and not stated explicitly, which I think is a really good way of doing it. Because then you can just sort of, like, make up whatever you want. It also kind of reminded me of these movies like um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or whatever. Like, all these movies where people are trapped in houses with, like, like these weird people. But this one's, like, a sterile version of that. Where, like, the horror is, like, all internal instead of, like, being gross on the outside. It's like they're disgusting on right. the inside. He does have to, yeah, and then it doesn't become external until he has to fight his way out at the end. Exactly. And that's a great sequence. Yeah. Um, wait, what was the alternate ending that he goes to prison instead of escaping? Right, so the way the movie ends, um, basically, uh, everyone's dead and they're trying to, es- and he's trying to escape, uh, the main character is Chris Washington, by the way, I should have mentioned at some point, and then he's driving away and Rose has a gun and she's trying to kill him, and then he, like, starts to strangle her, and then, uh, a cop car arrives, so everyone's like, oh shit, and then it turns out to be his friend, and they just, right. like, drive off together and it's fine. But the alternate ending is he does actually kill her, and then the real cops arrives and just kind of just like assumes mm-hmm. what happened, and then he does just end up in jail. Which, oh honestly, is the more terrifying, like, more realistic, yes. better ending, but it's also maybe a little too much for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I guess, like, I took it as being, um, like, more metaphorical. But yeah, typically, like, watching thrillers or, like, horror movies aren't my style of favorite style of movie. No. Um, I would say, if anything, like, this movie would be nominated for Best Writing, like, Best Original Screenplay. Mm. But for Best Picture, I don't know. I don't think it quite makes it to there, personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the ending was just changed because that was around the time when all this um, Black Lives Matter stuff was going on about cops killing unarmed black people basically mm-hmm. so i think it was seen as a little too disturbing mm-hmm. and i do like the ending too because it is kind of like a nice relief kind of nice right because his friend was figuring out like something's wrong here <laughs> the whole movie and that would be bad to not have it pay off 
Oh, and the movie starts with the song Redbone, so that's a nice little um, cultural touchstone. And it also uses the song Run, Rabbit, Run a bunch. Mm. So yeah, that's all I really had to say about that one. Um, like I said, I do think it is really good. Yeah, I did see it as less of an... It wasn't an, an like a purposefully Oscar-baity movie. It wasn't like style in of that style that the Oscars typically pick. I mean, maybe this could be the most original movie. Like, I could definitely see that. Mm-hmm. So I am saying it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Actor for Daniel Kulia. So mm-hmm. that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I have trouble, like, judging acting compared to other, act- like, actors to actors, because it's like you have, like, you know, a guy playing Winston Churchill versus, like, a guy just playing, like, a regular guy. It's just, like, completely different types of acting. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, why don't we move on? to three billboards over ebbing missouri <laughs> the longest fucking title yeah in general this year all the titles are way too fucking long <laughs> no wait three billboards outside ebbing missouri so this is a movie directed by martin mcdonough who i'm not that familiar with but he's made a few movies that are pretty popular he also directed seven psychopaths and in bruges oh god in bruges Apparently, I didn't realize this, but this guy is also the most acclaimed playwright in Ireland. Oh. It's kind of cool that he transitioned from that to filmmaking. Oh, he's Irish. Yeah. In general, the script is one of the most out there, like, bizarre, tonally, um, of the ones that have been nominated this year. Because it is just like a very bleak, dark comedy that I think was sort of inspired a lot by uh, Flannery O'Connor, like, Southern Gothic fiction. Just this whole idea that it's like the world is horrible, but these people are trying to be strong and resilient in the face of that. Um, It brings to mind, like, a good man is hard to find, which is this whole short story about, like, this old woman and this man talking. And at the end, the man kills her. That's, like, the ending. So basically, this movie starts with this woman, Mildred, driving by these billboards, and you don't really know what's going on. And she goes to this uh, ad company where this guy, Red, rents out the billboard space. And she's like, how much to rent these three billboards? Um, I know I can't, like, denigrate anyone or have the, r- the words fuck, cunt, or shit on it, but what else can I have? And I will say they use that word, the C word, way too much in this movie. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this is just, like, I think the quiet strength of Frances McDormand, but I also think she has a lot more dialogue than she usually has in, like, the mm-hmm. Coen Brothers movie she's in, for example. But a lot of it's just, like, her being a badass and kind of just strong in the face of all these people telling her to, like, fuck off. And not mess around with this really popular sheriff. Yeah, I wrote that it was like such ungodly acting talent. Because everyone's like acting so hard in this movie. I didn't really see it that way. I didn't think it was forced or anything, I guess is what I mean. Like, I think Sam Rockwell was really good in it. Like, yeah. So this is a movie about advertising. It's basically Mad Men. Did you notice that? Because <laughs> uh... <laughs> it's just advertising on the billboards. <laughs> Well, there's a hilarious line later in the movie after uh, Red realizes that the sheriff is dying, and then he's, like, making up some shit about, like, oh, you just put down the deposit, you actually have to pay the first month's rent. And she's like, you can't trust the lawyers and you can't trust the admin? What's America coming to? Yeah. (laughs) And the movie's kind of just filled with all these, like, really funny lines where Francis McDormand's just, like, way too dark, and it makes it really funny. Yeah, I I was confused about the tone because I didn't read before watching it that it was, like, a dark comedy. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. I thought it was just like a dramatic film. Yeah. Um, so actually, I liked it a lot more that it, because it was a dark comedy, because I thought there was like a lot of really funny stuff happening in it. So yeah, they put up the sign, and 
She's like, when can you have it up? And they're like, Easter Sunday, good for you? Sam Rockwell's character, uh, who plays Officer Dixon, drives by and he's like, what the fuck are these billboards? And then like, he's talking to this African-American guy and he's like, don't I know your face? And he's like, maybe. He's like, oh yeah, I do know your face. And then he just like spits. Yeah, I was like, how about a movie about that guy? Yeah, and he comes back later on um, after the billboards are burnt down. And he's like, oh yeah, we just happen to have these extra ones if you want to put them up again. Because they always produce two copies. Well, okay, so that was my thing is I thought this movie was super racially insensitive or like... Well, I mean, it was racial, like that was right in the themes. Like it was confronting race as a theme. But the movie itself, like, I don't know if it was trying to make a pro-racist statement or not. Like, I couldn't tell. I don't think that's true. Yeah. Okay, so that was the thing. Every single character in this movie that has a, you know, a few lines, except maybe the two um, black characters, but everyone like who you are maybe supposed to sympathize with a little bit, then turns around to someone else and insults them or like uses a slur. Like even Peter Dinklage. So he is, he insults the intelligence of the 19 year old girlfriend of Francis McDormand's ex-husband. So like every single person, like then France, then the brother. I mean, to be fair, she's clearly supposed to be stupid. Like that's part of her character. Yeah, but it's just like, they're all using ableist language. Like if someone is stupid and you call them stupid, that's not an insult. That's just like a fact. But was she really that stupid? Yeah, like every one of her lines was saying something ridiculous that the audience was to find like ridiculously stupid. I just thought she was sort of spoke like a space cadet, but she wasn't necessarily actually stupid. At one point she comes in and is like, oh yeah, I got fired from the zoo. I'm gonna work, go work down with the disabled horses. And everyone's just like staring at her. Oh my gosh. Well, I just wasn't sure. I was just like, I guess what I read from it is it was like everyone has hierarchical like power dynamics. So if they feel like they're being treated as lesser than they turn around and put that put that anger on someone else right i mean maybe that's part of the theme of the movie so the three billboards that they actually put up they say raped while dying and still no arrests how come chief willoughby you come to find out that chief willoughby is this guy woody harrelson that everyone pretty much loves in the town and he also is dying of pancreatic cancer he has like a month left to live so he kind of has this moment where he like talks to her and tells her that and she's like well that's why i have to put up the signs now yeah no i supported her like um trying to get the cops to solve the case of her daughter's death um but then it was there was just weird stuff that was kind of like pro police like she was saying how she would have made a dna database of every single person in the country and the cop is the one who's on the right side of the argument saying no i think that would violate civil rights right the new um the new sheriff who comes in even says to her like we're not all bad you know that's what i'm saying but they are all bad <laughs> well, that's i just of you, but anyway. i just didn't support the movie trying to like humanize some of these people when it's like no they're turning around and saying horrible stuff and like doing horrible things well no that's the whole scene where basically she's confronting uh woody harrelson being like why did you never follow this up why did you just stop looking for the person who raped and killed my daughter and he's basically like well we looked for dna we looked for evidence we looked for witnesses and none we had none of those things so it was a cold case so i couldn't do anything really and that's where she says the thing that's obviously supposed to be ridiculous where she's like well they should put every male born baby on a registry and make sure when they do a crime that you can cross reference in and then you should kill them just yeah like, Fuck. she's like i would create a dna database and kill them 
I mean, basically, you can see that even though he's the one who's dying, she's the one that's full of all this, like, hate and vengeance. Mm-hmm. But her whole character is, like, supposed to be, like, quietly have this reservoir of deep power. Like, every time someone tries to confront her, she's basically able to hold her own. There's a whole thing later when, like, um, what is it? Harrelson is asking Sam Rockwell what's going on with the billboards, and he's like, well, we've had two complaints. One is a lady with a weird eye, and the other is a dentist. And the next scene is she's at the dentist and he's like basically saying weird, intimidating things. She grabs the drill from him and like puts it through his thumb. Thumb. Ew, that was gross. Yeah, but it's basically all these scenes where it's like, well, try to fuck with me. I'm just going to fuck you back. Yeah. And then the dentist they call fat. I felt like I couldn't get over that. I think the main theme of this movie that I pulled out of it was insults to other people. Because there's just so many ways to insult people that I didn't even think of. They kept being mean about Peter Dinklage's height, the weight of the, the if you're fat, they call you that. They say something about a funny eye. Um, they use the N-word. Right, word. which point of view do you think the movie is supposed to have? Like, do you think the movie is thinking that the audience agrees and wants to be like, oh yeah, he is a midget, or yeah, he is whatever, some race. No, obviously you're supposed to have the point of view that those people are being horrible, and we know they're being horrible. I agree that it probably is trying not to... Uh, be in support of that but I think it's normalizing it well that's why that one review was like it's making it's making it okay for it's it's for people who want to feel bad about or feel okay about their racist relatives because it's like humanizing people who say these horrible things I mean if we want to talk about that we should talk about the fact that the officer Dixon character has this mom who's just also horrible She's the one who says later on, like, well, have you tried going after her friends? Try fucking her friends. Yeah, the mom is bad. That's when they arrest the other co-worker at the gift shop for marijuana possession or something like that. Some ridiculous thing. Yeah. And she doesn't come back until, like, the end of the movie. Right. That was sad. Yeah, the mom was, vi- I guess, like, an alcoholic, and so Officer Dixon was an alcoholic. Right, you can obviously just see that he's, like, this mama's boy who just learned all his hateful behavior from his mom, and... Yeah, obviously, they have a bunch of lines where they're, like, saying he uh, tortured black people, basically, which is obviously horrible. Oh, but that's a funny scene, too, because, like, she's like, I how's torturing N-words? And then he's like, you're supposed to call them people of color. It's torturing people of color. Oh, yeah, that was another case. No, yeah, they put the um, officer on the correct the correcting side there that was weird if you say people of color torturing the bad thing is that you're still saying torturing there's also that amazing scene where she comes back to her house and a priest is there and she has this whole like little monologue about back when the crypts and the bloods were killing all everyone uh they passed a law where it's like if you were just in the same vicinity and you happen to be a crypt and a blood then you would be subjugated to the same punishment and she's like well what about all those priests molesting all those altar boys um as far as I see, you wear the same, like, gang colors as the other priests, so don't come in here and fucking judge me. And she, like, tells him to get the hell out. Yeah, I did like her telling off the religious guy for being a hypocrite. There's a lot of, um, alternating between people fighting and then getting along. That seemed to be a, a thing. Like, people would be bickering and then all of a sudden getting along and working together towards something and then bickering again. I mean, obviously, this is a small town, so it's like everyone knows everything and everyone's constantly commenting on everything. Like, the news people are somehow doing these, like, really personal comments that you wouldn't do probably if it was, like, a national news network. Right. Like, you wouldn't call out the lady be like, oh, yeah, she's probably the reason why Willoughby killed himself. Mm-hmm. 
there was a thing, uh, like if this were an honest trailer, there were a couple of scenes where people were left in cars while other people went inside. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a running thing. <laughs> so you should talk about her ex-husband, who's played by John Hawks. And she says of him that he's an ex-cop and an ex-wife beater. And at one point he comes over to the house and he's like telling her all about how this uh, billboard business won't bring back their daughter and how she's like making their family a target. And at one point he's like physically assaulting her, like grabbing her around the neck. And that's when Penelope comes in and is like, oh yeah, I have to pee, but I, I can see I'm interrupting something. Right. Yeah. That's supposed to be a comedic scene. And that's when they flash back and you actually see the daughter for a little bit, Angela. There's this whole, um, just a sequence where basically you see that she wanted to take the car but the mom was like i'll give you money for a cab and then she's like maybe i'll just walk along the side of the road and i'll probably get raped and i was like yeah i hope you do get raped and obviously it's supposed to be ironic yeah the mom francis mcdormand said a horrible thing so that's probably why she feels extra guilty um about it and in that scene you also get the sense that francis mcdormand used to be like pretty normal but then this whole trauma like completely changed her yeah it seemed like they just had normal like family fighting i guess yeah. Oh, and the son uses the word cunt a lot. So that's his thing is he turns around and uses that insult, even though he's kind of sympathetic. Well, yeah. So in the flashback, uh, he says the daughter, the sister basically says, um, you're all, why won't you ever like back me up? Why aren't you ever on my side? And mm. then he says, I'm always on your side when you're not being uh, that word. And then yeah. he says, there'll be no more that word in this house. And then he says, why are you moving out? And then he, there's this like funny stutter and he's like, it, it was a gag. <laughs> yeah. So then Willoughby like is trying to take away her economic ability to keep the billboards open. So they're like trying to go after her business. We were talking about the ex-husband. He basically has like a really young daughter and she sort of accuses him of the same thing. It's like, well, fucking this 19 year old isn't going to bring back her daughter either. And then the son's like really pissed off at the mom uh, because he had purposefully avoided the details about what happened to his sister. And then he's just mad that he has to confront it every day when he's like passing the billboards. And he's like ignoring the mom and she like throws some uh, Rice Krispies in his face. And the dad's like, why should I care? Why should I care what you think? You have Rice Krispies in your hair. Gosh, I mean, yeah, everyone's just so like mad and violent and or, you know, aggressive or whatever. It's like, is this what being Missouri is really like? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I guess that's what happens when your daughter gets raped and murdered and nobody does anything. And you're stuck with Officer Dixon or whatever. Oh, one thing that was funny about uh, Dixon's mom is that she specifically drinks Jose Cuervo in a bag. I guess it's just like a margarita mix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's some nice, like, memorable riffs in the soundtrack. It's kind of like a nice theme that they keep using throughout the movie. And yeah. I thought Sam Rockwell actually did a really good job of being, like, sort of goofy and trying to be, like, intimidating and then... There's that whole sequence after Willoughby like commits suicide when he's like walking through the ad place and like breaking the window and like punching the kid and throws him out the window. Throwsing him out the window, that was horrible. And then the kid still helps him and gets him orange juice in the hospital. Well, I guess it's supposed to be a nice moment where like, even though he's super pissed off at him, he's like, well, not some fucking orange juice. Jeez. So yeah, then there's a whole sequence where basically we're, we don't realize it yet, but we're witnessing Woody Harrelson's last day on the, on the planet. But he takes his wife and his kids to the lake and he has them played some funny game where they're like fishing things and they can't leave the carpet, which also makes you think like, oh, he's worried about his kids getting kidnapped too. But then him and his wife just go off to fuck somewhere over there. Like drinking oh my wine. God. And also I thought his wife was weirdly young. Yeah. Was his wife like a young Australian woman or something? She had like a different accent. 
I think it's this actress, uh, Abby Cornish, who's in a bunch of random things. Hmm. But yeah, they have this, like, nice day, and then he goes back home, puts a bag over his head, like, says he's gonna go, like, take care of the horses, and then shoots himself in the head. And they have this whole thing about he wrote, like, suicide notes for everyone. I thought the note that he wrote to his wife was really sad. Yeah, he wrote, so he wrote notes to people, so that's how he still has, like, a voice after he dies, or after he's off the movie. Because he wrote a note to his wife, to Officer Dixon, and a Francis... McDormand, Mildred, yeah. Uh, there's a nice moment when Mildred goes back to the billboards and she sees a deer, and it just made me think of the the other movie, Killing of a Sacred Deer. It's like, oh man, it's another sacred deer. <laughs> yeah, it was like a sacred deer. I don't believe in reincarnation, but maybe you're my daughter. And then she like, like breaks down. Um, she has this whole line about like, why does this shit happen? Uh, maybe because there's no God, nothing we do matters to each other. And she just does this like funny little shrugging thing yeah she's monologuing to this deer about philosophy <laughs> so the ad guy tries to fuck her over and like right at that moment someone just happens to drop off like enough money for the rent with a note that says ain't you're maybe you aren't the only one who hates pigs around here and i would say uh willoughby killing himself is sort of the second catalyst like the first catalyst is obviously the billboards and the second catalyst is he kills himself and then all these characters have to sort of re-examine their points of view that's what mm-hmm. leads um, Sam Rockwell to sort of reconsider his shit because he leaves a note that's like, um, I know you're a good man somewhere deep in there. Right. He tries to do better. That's when he resolves to help solve uh, Mildred's case, yeah. I guess. It is really funny. Um, he kind of reminds me of like a super racist version of Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Like he's always just like this dumb guy who somehow got into the position of authority where he shouldn't be. Like, yeah. the scene where he learns about uh, this guy's suicide, he's, like, listening to ABBA and just kind of, like, bopping his head where everyone's, like, freaking out in the background. And he's like, what's going on? The next scene, it's like he's, like, having racking sobs with the other officer. Mm-hmm. And then he, that's when he, like, attacks the guy, throws him out the window. Right. That was horrible. And that the same sequence, uh, Frances McDormand takes her son to school and someone throws a can at him. And she gets out and, like, asks, like, two different students, did you do this? And, like, attacks them physically and, like, punches a kid and, like, kicks some girl in the crotch or something like that. <laughs> something ridiculous. Yeah, she really doesn't care. She'll attack anyone who's, like, insulting or whatever, like, the dentist or these kids. And then they get a new sheriff, uh, this guy, Amber Crombie, who's played by Clark Peters from The Wire. And he actually tells... Uh, officer dixon to get out like you're basically fired because of that whole thing you did we find out that willoughby paid the rent for mildred and that's why she didn't get closed down a man comes back to the gift shop and is like threatening her and being like how much is all this stuff worth and it's like breaking shit and being like maybe i raped and murdered your kid oh yeah that was super creepy he was so she's getting like death threats because uh they all think she caused willoughby to kill himself and then she gets a letter from willoughby that basically exonerates her being like i know you probably think i did this over the billboards but it really wasn't that and actually it's weird because he says in the letter to the wife exactly why he's doing it he's like i don't want you to have to see me i don't have to see the pain in your eyes when i win like away. waste away Oh, and there's a really funny scene. So then you find out that the billboards are being burnt. Uh, so she's like freaking out about it and like trying to put it out with like a fire extinguisher. And she like climbs on top of one of them and is like almost going to burn herself. And then she like climbs down. And then when she is back home, she's wearing these like bunny slippers and she's like talking to herself as each of the bunny slippers with like a funny little voice being like, should we crucify these motherfuckers? And like, yeah, we should crucify these oh motherfuckers. Oh my God. I was, I that scene was hilarious. I was like meh about that scene. 
I was I thought other stuff was more naturally funny and that was trying too hard or something. Oh, and then uh they show the news people like talking about the billboards being like, um, I guess this puts an end to this whole saga and she drives by and says it's like super offensive thing. She's like, This isn't putting anything t- end to anything, you fucking R word. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was another insult. Yeah, they use that a lot. Jeez. So then Dixon's reading the letter in the PlayStation because he like was supposed to go by there to pick it up. And at the same time, Mildred's across the street, like, preparing Molotov cocktails, and she, like, throws it and sets the police station on fire. And again, Dixon's, like, listening to some music so he doesn't hear anything. Oh, yeah, he's coincidentally the only person in the police station and gets horrible burns. Well, because she waits until night to do it. Yeah, and he's only in there because he's fired, but he has to come get his letter from willoughby and then notably he like picks up the file like that's the last thing he does in the station is grab the Hayes file and like runs out yes he's resolved peter dinklage like runs out and like saves him with a blanket and then he like is agrees to be an alibi basically for francis norman yeah he thinks she's attractive but she's really mean to peter dinklage i mean i thought his character was kind of weird just because he didn't really have a character like he's in one other scene early in the movie and then he like just like reappears for this little chunk yeah, very minor character, I guess. They agreed to go on a date, basically, because he saved her. And then her husband and his girlfriend are at the same restaurant, and the the husband comes by and is like, oh yeah, sorry about burning the billboards. I guess I get a little dramatic when I'm drunk. And I was like, yeah. oh yeah, she's gonna straight up kill him now. Yeah, I thought <laughs> so. Just, like, instead, she's just like quietly angry at him and like brings over a bottle of wine because she like ruins the date with Peter Dinklage. Yeah, she feels bad, I guess. Um, she's like, oh, wait, am I a horrible person? <laughs> oh, yeah. there's a cat behind you. They're, like, peeking up over your shoulder. <laughs> yes, there's a cat in the room. <laughs> so then Dixon is at some bar, and there's a African-American couple, and they're like, oh, look who it is, all burnt up, like, being kind of gleeful that he got hurt. But then he just happens to overhear. It's actually the same guy who was, like, breaking shit in the gift shop. And he's saying, like, oh, yeah, I raped her and murdered her. Like, saying all this suggestive stuff. And, like, Dixon goes out and actually does a clever thing where he, like, copies the license number. And comes back and kind of confronts the guy and is like, oh, yeah, I think you did this. And he, like, lets him beat him, basically. Yeah, that was weird. He scratches his face really hard and lets himself get beat up. And then he scrapes out the, um, like, skin from under his nails uh, to save his DNA. Oh, but I thought the two people in the bar, the couple, one was the store owner who had gotten released from prison, and one was the guy who Uh had the second copies of the posters. Right. It's interesting how they keep popping up throughout the film. Well, I felt like that was sort of, it was because it's like the main characters are all white, but they're sort of like the helpful friends is their role. Well, it just, like, could be um, just standard to just be, like, have integrated just different casts. I don't know. (laughs) What about the police sergeant, the guy who takes over? Yeah, that's true. Um, But then I was like, ah, he's trying to make police look good. Because he's like, not all of us are bad. And he was, like, a decent guy. (laughs) Probably not all police are bad. I don't know. I guess. It's the system that's flawed, not the people. Yeah, I mean, Officer Dixon was flawed. And Chief Willoughby said random shit, too. That was bad. What did Willoughby say? I don't remember. 
I think I he just know. repeats he something was... that Dixon says. Like, yeah, he's, he's... Midget, but he's just repeating what he said. Yeah, he's just fine with Dixon being like torturing black people or whatever. I don't know. He's just like allowing all of that to happen. I mean, I think it's weird they didn't go more into that and like explain it or like say more. Yeah, about that. that's true. They they keep referencing it and they never really um, go into that. So then Dixon's all like excited because he thinks he's like finally solved this case and he calls Mildred and is telling her he solved the case. But then when he goes into the police station, Abercrombie's like, actually, he was serving abroad when he did that. And he has this like funny line of like, well, I can't tell you what country it is because it's redacted, but imagine somewhere Sandy. And Dixon's like, that doesn't really help. Mm? So the implication is that he did do something horrible to somebody, but in a different country. Right, because he was bragging about something that he did. But um, yeah, so then Dixon is kind of like telling Fran- uh, telling Mildred like, well, you know, I did get his license plate. <laughs> well, before that, he is in his home with his mom and he takes a rifle and like puts it in his mouth. So he's about to like commit suicide and then he has a change of heart. Oh, like, yeah. Instead, I'm going to share this information and they, they, they embark on some weird vigilante trip to like find and kill this guy, even though they don't know him at all. And they're not sure either. At the, I think it just ends on him being them being like, I'm not sure. We'll decide along the way. Yeah, that's a pretty funny line for something horrible. <laughs> like, are you really sure we want to kill this guy? And he's like, I guess we can decide on the way. I didn't really think the ending was very good. It's a pretty strange way to end it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the, I was like, I guess the message of this movie, because everyone's kind of trying to establish like dominance or power over other people uh, to make themselves right. feel better. So I, and then she also talks about the how there is no God and everything's meaningless. So I was like, I guess power hierarchies are the only way we can make sense of the chaos and the meaninglessness. People like trying to gain control. That makes sense. I mean, mainly I would say this movie is good for the performances. And like you're saying, the subject matter has obviously a lot of flaws. And also the guy, um, so the Martin McDonough isn't from the southern area so i don't think it reads as quite as accurately as Mm, it should right i agree with that but i do think overall it has an interesting take on things like we've obviously been able to talk about it for all this time so i think it's yeah there's definitely a lot to unwrap in that movie i think (laughs) i mean again i would say if anything nominate sam rockwell sam uh, nominate uh francis mcdormand i don't know again if this movie in general should have been nominated yeah i can see that Okay, well, we should move on to our last film, unless you have anything else to say. Mm-mm. Oh, oh, there was one really interesting thing. Like, apparently this led to um, some activists sort of stealing the idea from this and putting up billboards about different things. Oh, yeah, that spawned activism. I mean, this is a dark film with dark thematics and dark characters and mean things and mean humor. So obviously it's not trying to be a crowd pleaser. It bordered uh, the line between dark comedy and just drama, I guess, a lot of times, because it was such serious subject matter, but then they're, like, interjecting jokes. I mean, it is really funny. Like, there are a lot of lines that I, like, had a good gut laugh at. Mm-hmm. Overall, clearly, the theme is about love and hate, and, like, the fact that you should choose love over hate, because hate just corrupts everything. But then, at the end, they do choose hate, seemingly. Yeah, they choose the dark side. <laughs> they're going to the dark side. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's move on to a more uplifting film, The Shape of Water. So this was kind of, um, this is another romance, I guess. So you have Call Me By Your Name as a romance, and then Phantom Thread is kind of a twisted romance, and then Shape of Water is a romance. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because Disney made their own live-action version of Beauty and the Beast, but 
this I thought was a way better version of that. Like if you're gonna do Beauty and the Beast live action, this was way better than that movie was. So this movie is all about like um, the underrepresented people in the '60s. Basically, it's about this Latina lady who's mute, and she works with this other lady who's African American. Mostly works with other Octavia Spencer. Yeah, who I thought was really good, and her best friend is this gay guy. Uh, Miles, who's like an advertisement artist, he like makes these really detailed drawings. He's kind of getting mm-hmm. displaced by time. So I definitely thought it had some really strong thematics, and just the fact that it was set in Baltimore in the sixties is kind of interesting. She like lives above this like classic old-fashioned movie theater called the Orpheum, which is cool. Yeah, I think that is actually a famous theater. Mm. I really thought this movie had a lot of really magical moments, and in particular, I thought. Elisa was great in it. The character who was played by Sally Hawkins. Mm-hmm. She did like a really subtle job of like, she never speaks in the movie except in the dream sequence. So the whole movie, she's like, she's acting with her hands and her face and just like letting that do her all the work. Mm-hmm. They have a good recurring thing where she like, they show her morning routine. She like wakes up, makes a sandwich, boils an egg. And then the time that the egg takes to boil, she's like masturbating in the, bath right she has an egg timer from the kitchen to time her eggs that she brings into the bathroom with her and fills the tub and masturbates yeah so it kind of normalizes female desire which is nice yeah they get all up in sally hawkins body for this one (laughs) yeah she has multiple like full nude scenes yeah so the whole plot concerns the fact that she works at this mysterious lab in the 60s and they basically have captured this amphibian man. Specifically, Michael Shannon's character has captured this guy. And they're just, like, doing experiments on it and trying to figure out what the hell it is. And they want to, like, <laughs> vivisect it at a certain point. Oh, they say that they captured it in South America. Oh, yes. This was very Guillermo del Toro because he's super into vivisection and, like, special Blocks. effects. Like, I was reminded of Blade 2 with, like, the lab stuff. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Or like Hellboy or something, like a yeah. action-y Hellboy. Yeah, because they have a fish guy in Hellboy, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I want to say that when he was unable to make Hellboy 3, he probably just took a, a lot of stuff from that and put it in this movie instead. Mm-hmm. Like, reordered it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Michael Shannon's character was really interesting. He kind of was just a stand-in for, like, the authoritarian white man. So he's this, like, yeah. weirdo who, like, has this, like, classic 60s life with, like, the <laughs> submissive wife and the two kids. He hates it. <laughs> yeah, he does, like, weird, like, sexually deviant things with her. Like, he doesn't want her to talk. And then he's, like, attracted to the mute woman. Yeah, he's like, I like that you're quiet. So clearly he's, like, a misogynist. Yeah, I guess he, yeah, he just wants the power. Oh, the scene where he's introduced. It's like um, Octavia Spencer and uh, Sally Hawkins are in the bathroom cleaning it, and he just, like, comes in and, like, pees <gasps> in front of them and then, like, walks out. He washes his hands before yes! he pees, and he, like, doesn't wash, wash his hands later. And he makes, like, a whole point of it. He's like, you can tell a lot by a man by when he washes his hands before peeing or after. But the weird thing was he doesn't hold his dick while he pees because he washed his hands. First, he puts his hands on his hips and just stands there talking to them. (laughs) It's so weird. Well, yeah, no, he's such a weirdo. And I think this character reminded me a lot of the same character of a similar character he played in Boardwalk Empire. He's the same like sort of repressed FBI, weird religious guy. Mm. Very similar in tone to this. Mm-hmm. I thought his acting was really good. Like he was very menacing when he was supposed yeah. to be. And he was like really creepy when he was supposed to be. And there's a whole gross thing about like the creature bites off one of his fingers and oh. they reattach it, but it doesn't work out. Yeah, so it's, like, sort of rotting over the thing. And like at various points, 
they build it up where you think, oh man, he's going to rip it off. He's going to rip it off. And then finally, you do get to the scene where he rips it off and he's like, has this whole monologue about the story of Samson, how he like broke down the whole temple to crush all his enemies. And then he like, right. rips off his finger. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, he was gross. Oh, and he's reading the power of positive thinking. So he's like, oh, yeah. I- I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Like he's such a good, uh, yeah, like 60s household uh, or like male le- leader of the household or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, uh, Guillermo Toro has a few, like, fun, twisted villains like this guy. Um, it reminds me of Kronos, the um, character played by Ron Perlman, who has this mm-hmm. whole thing about wanting to have a nose surgery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's always these, like, guys who have, like, these weird little quirks that make them interesting and more than just, like, a rote bad guy. Yeah. So then Michael Strahlberg is there, too, and you find out over the course of the movie that he's actually a Russian spy who's trying to get the creature out of there and get out all the information from the creature. So it's kind of like him and um, Elisa's plots kind of co- coincide. They kind of, like, intersect. Yeah, I was like, she's really lucky that he happened to be there and also wanting to break the creature out. <laughs> right, exactly. Basically, she discovers the creature when she over the course of cleaning up all the tanks and stuff um and then she like does this cute little thing where she's like leaving the creature eggs and he like comes out and like pops his head out and he's like we're eggs yeah he's like doing it and like teaching him music and tries to teach him like some some words and stuff or like sign language Mm-hmm. yeah he responds to language and music i i thought the egg thing was interesting i mean i guess that kind of goes with an amphibian of kind of creature like they would lay eggs Obviously, the design of the creature is supposed to be reminiscent of the creature from the Black Lagoon, but more realistic. Like, they have this whole thing with the creature blinking, and then later, uh, she's describing how she has sex with the creature, and she's, like, doing this little, like, hand motion to show how the penis, like, oh, yeah. out, opens up and comes out. I was like, of course they went into the anatomy of his penis and his um, double lungs or whatever. That's so Guillermo del Toro to, like, <laughs> discuss the monster yeah, anatomy. So we have a whole running thread with uh, Michael Strolberg trying to meet with his handlers and keeps like saying different things with them. And there's always this like tense tension of like violence breaking out. Like he'll hide little ways to kill these guys in case they like turn him. And eventually, of course, they do. So yeah, there's this general guy who's like the who's like Michael Shannon's superior and just like telling him like it doesn't matter what you've done. You've got to keep doing good work or no one's. Yeah, you can't fuck up even one time. Yeah. because uh, I guess the Russians and the Americans want to kill it so the other side can't get this creature. Right. And it's really romantic, like, the way they play out the interactions between Elisa and the creature, and, like, how it keeps building over time, and how she, like, keeps sneaking in and all that stuff. Yeah, what I liked about it, her being, um, like, a custodian or whatever, is it felt like, um, like a typical sci-fi movie telling this story or monster movie or whatever would be telling it from like Michael Shannon would be the protagonist. So they're like the side characters right. that are just going along doing their day. And then in the background, you have all this crazy, this, uh, this monster stuff going on with like the blood everywhere. And they just have to come in and clean it up and they yeah. don't know what's happened. They're just like, where the hell do we work? Like, what do they do here? <laughs> no, it's like one of those Buffy episodes where the thing that you focus on is the, background characters instead of like all this crazy shit happening yeah xander's day (laughs) and that actually becomes a theme in the movie because eventually when they break the creature out uh michael shannon's like interviewing everyone 
and they're just like we're just cleaners we don't see anything we don't do anything no one yeah and he was like why would why am i interviewing the help or something like this is stupid and he just discounts all of them as being able to do this so then while this is all going on um her neighbor uh they have this whole storyline with him like try and go back to his advertising job and do little paintings mm-hmm. and this whole thing with the toupee yeah um there's an implication that he had like a sexual relationship with one of the guys from this ad mm-hmm. company and that's why he got ousted because i guess it wasn't good mm-hmm. to do that yeah i didn't totally understand but and then there's this thing with this like diner that he likes to keep going to and getting pie from and he thinks there's this like um canadian guy working there who's pretending to be southern and he like comes in like flirts with him and he like puts his hand on him and he's like get the fuck out this is a family place yeah and it's like immediately rude to some uh, african-american people coming in too yep so it's all about like how people are just like lashing out yeah they definitely show the um stereotypes and the subjugation or the oppression happening like in the 60s so at that same time uh elisa convinces him to like help her break out this amphibian guy and he like uses his art skills to like make a fake id so he can like break in (laughs) and the russian guy like finds out about all this too so he's like gonna help them uh take out all the security and shit yeah because his ultimate motivation is he just wants the creature to stay alive because he's a scientist i think he just somehow got sucked into this russian spy thing but he doesn't want to kill it either well i mean he is russian right but they are like using him and they're threatening him to do all this stuff and he just wants it to stay alive right so their interests align i guess in keeping this creature alive so she manages to set up the creature in her bathtub uh they have to use like a lot of salt like have a saline solution and they have all this like specific food she has to feed him yeah and at one point it like breaks out and eats the cat and oh um God. the giles guy freaks that out was and scary. Like, scratches him and she's like and he's like it was my fault it was my fault and he like runs out and goes to the movie theater where elisa finds him and like convinces to come back and then that's where um he like touches giles arm and his head and that causes him to both heal and also grow back his hair. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, the monster has healing powers. Yeah, you hear a little bit at the beginning where Michael Shannon's being like, oh yeah, the natives consider this creature to be a god. Mm-hmm. Well, some god. They worshipped like it like a god. So they sort of subtly build it up in the undercurrent that he, this thing does have some powers. The Russian guy goes back to his handlers and they shoot him. But then Michael Shannon just happens to have followed him. So he shoots the bad guys or the Russian guys. But then he, like, uses this to his advantage to, like, torture the guy. Which is yeah, that was too. nasty. He shoots him in the cheek. Yeah, because he's sticking his fingers and weapons and all the guy's gun ho- gunshot wounds is gross. Yeah, uh, Del Toro clearly likes... Yeah, he does. I thought of that, too. <laughs> well, for my money, there still wasn't a scene as disturbing as the whole, like, um, switchblade scene in... Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth. Ooh, yeah he's like uh what where, tell me what happened to the creature and he's like uh, the help took it he goes over to zelda's house and is like threatening her and her husband and that's when he does the whole finger putting off pulling off thing so he like t- she has to tell her or the husband tells uh the guy where the creature is i thought the zelda character was really interesting too like they have a bunch of interesting discussions about religion in relation to her character because her name is zelda delilah and he's like, oh, that's bad. There's a lot of biblical Samson references. Of yeah. And they, there's like a biblical comedy movie or something playing at, uh, Orf- at the Orpheum. So there's like definitely a lot of biblical references. But it's interesting because the movie seems to be pro-spirituality to a certain extent, but maybe a little anti-Christianity in certain ways. 
Yeah, it's anti-establishment, I guess. So yeah, then basically he finds out because of a note in Eliza's apartment where the creature is. So they go to confront each other. Um, Strickland shoots her. And the, the monster. Creature, the creature slashes his Yes, head, because Giles hits him upside the head with a piece of wood or something. And then he's like, oh man, you are a god. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, so I think maybe that's the spiritual thing is like, this is actually the story of a f- amphibious fish god or something. Yeah. And I really like the ending because it's kind of like the opposite of Pan's Labyrinth, whereas that one, it ended in a dark way that you're sort of supposed to be like, well, maybe it could just be this way, but it is probably also just the dark way. Yeah, she probably died. Yeah. But this one's kind of the opposite where you think, oh man, it's going to have a dark ending, but instead it turns into this like really nice moment where the creature like turns her into another. Yeah, she, because of his powers, uh, he's able to rescue her and himself and they go off together, I guess. I really like the ending, actually. It kind of made me tear up a little bit just because the way they did the music and the imagery and um, the neighbor guy has this whole little monologue he says about it. That really got to me. Yeah. um, Gosh. Oh, I also forgot to mention my favorite scene in this whole movie is when she's on the bus and they just do this whole awesome thing with water. Mm -hmm. They just zoom way in on the water on the window and just like how it interacts with the other water droplets and all this stuff, which is probably like where the movie's name comes from. Oh yeah, there's a ton of um, water, rain, and bathtubs and and the canal and all of that in this movie, obviously. In general, I really like the imagery, the effects, the overall story. The the lighting and uh, the green theme was so, like, everything was green. Like, what, um... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so in my opinion, like, this is my personal pick for what I think should win Best Picture, just because I think it really hit on all levels and didn't have, like, so many problematic aspects as these other films we've been talking about. Oh, yeah, the green key lime pie. She's wearing a green cardigan. The evil guy's always eating green candy. There's green oh, yeah, I forgot green candy. jello twice because it's in the advertisement and the wife, uh, this housewife makes the evil guy a green jello mold or something. He's like, this candy's probably terrible for me. But yeah, like <laughs> and then all the lighting is, like, green with an accent of red, I guess, kind of a red accent color um so it's kind of a uh, difference from um like the typical blue orange that i was seeing is so popular in (laughs) color schemes it's like a different color scheme it's also really interesting because colors mean lots of different things in different countries so whenever you go so bold for one way or the other like it could play off completely different in some other country like in some countries certain colors mean death and the other ones they mean like prosperity and so on Mm-hmm. So I think this movie's definitely about the other and like sensuality because they, there is a sex scene where she like floods the apartment to have sex with this thing. Yeah, and there's um, yeah because she has a whole speech about how the creature doesn't see her as having a disability or something. Oh, and my other favorite scene in the movie, she's like sitting at her dining table and like the lighting changes. It suddenly comes black and white and there's this whole amazing musical number right with her and the creature which i guess is from some a black and white movie i don't know but i think they were watching it earlier maybe yeah and throughout the movie there's like a bunch of sequences where she's just hanging out in the guy's apartment and they're sort of like tap dancing along to the musical yeah he prefers her friend and her prefer these like tap 
movies and not other things on TV. But there's so I just want to say there's so much meta theater in this. I'd have to like actually pause the credits and look at the list of like, there's so much on TV in the background and like so many scenes and it's all like what would have been on TV in 1962. And then there's meta theater because they live above a theater and they show the the movies playing a couple times. Yeah, it's also Guillermo del Toro just celebrating his love for cinema and creature movies. Like he has a whole house filled with like <laughs> classic old creature. Yeah, things. I think that's the uh, the only thing to critique is just like this guy's just fapping because he to all of his film loves, I guess. I mean, personally, I also love the Universal Monsters. Actually, I don't understand why they don't just let him like take over the cinematic Universal Monster thing they were trying to do. Mm. Probably a lot better. <laughs> Oh, and there was an interesting contrast between... So she was saying how the creature um, doesn't see her as being someone who's mute or, you know, doesn't see... Like, sees her for not right. being, like, a lesser than. Um, and then just there's... just the creature that can communicate with. Yeah, and then she has her Me Too moment at work with the evil guy who's, like, hitting oh, on yeah. her and saying the same you know, things. No, I like women who don't say things. Yes, it's weird because he was saying the same things that she was saying in her monologue, but his comes from a place of, like, dominance and power yeah. over her. No, I wrote down the exact same thing. I was like, Me Too. I was working in this weird 1960s <laughs> creature lab creature when lab, my yeah. superior... It's like trying to intimidate me sexually. Yeah, it was really awkward. Uh, but at least she got away. I was glad that she got away. I definitely love this movie, and I hope it gets all the Oscars, personally. I even think like the main actress should get an Oscar just because, like I said, she did so much work without speaking at all. Mm-hmm. I liked that, they, um, that her friends um, knew sign language, and there was a lot of sign language in the movie. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously awesome, too, for other mute or deaf people and she oh and that that was the other thing i was gonna say about how she was like everything in in her monologue or whatever everything in my life has brought me to this point and to this monster basically and so i guess it's because she had the scratches on her neck that could look like gills and also because she masturbated in water so i guess she was just meant to be aquatic (laughs) oh right i forgot about that whole thing like it's implied that she suffered some sort of trauma when she was a child. Yeah, a baby before she even remembers, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, it's obviously just setting up that she has these gill-like marks that are going to turn into actual gills later on. Yes. And yeah, just the fact that she masturbated in the tub the whole time where the creature then stayed. And I don't know. Anyways, yeah. So basically, this movie's all about uh, amphibian sex. And Call Me By yeah. Your Name's all about peach fucking... <laughs> uh, human plants relations. Human plant relations. Ooh, Tour should do a plant man thing next. Oh my gosh, yes. I want like some int, thing or something. int porn. <laughs> but yeah, so now we've talked about all the movies. We should talk about like the overall themes a little bit. Okay. Um, so we've sort of already talked, or at least I have mentioned the movies that I personally wouldn't have nominated. Like, I don't think Get Out should have been nominated. Or Phantom Thread, or Call Me By Your Name, for the reasons okay. I said already. What do you um, think? I just didn't really like Dunkirk. Oh yeah, I didn't like The Darkest Hour in the Post. I kind of lumped those together as like rich people involved in politics. Um, and those were kind of boring to me. And I just didn't like Dunkirk because I don't watch war movies. And I don't know, I guess three billboards made me uncomfortable enough that I just didn't, <laughs> I was just like, fuck that one. I don't know. It like, it just made me uncomfortable to watch the people making 
good points, but with such offensive language, I just, I don't know, I couldn't stomach it that much. Have you ever read any Flannery O'Connor? No. Oh, you should. I think that'd help you understand it better, because that's the Mm -hmm. whole point of those stories, is that these people talk in this, like, rough dialect that Mm -hmm. was very shocking at the time. Mm -hmm. So I think if you don't have that background, it makes less sense. Yeah. I mean, I personally support them nominating three billboards because they should nominate things that are, like, kind of subversive and weird and different. Yeah, it was definitely different, that's for sure. But then so was Phantom Thread was weird. So couldn't you make the same argument? But that one, I just still don't really understand what the overall point was. Except that that's guy's true. Clearly, a horrible, abusive guy. Right. They ended up with a weird, twisted love, and I'm not sure what the message was. I guess for the overall themes from the year, I noticed hope. Hope was a yeah. big one. Hope was in Dunkirk and Darkest Hour, and they mentioned hope, hope, and three billboards as well. Yeah, the post I think would be about hope because they're all hoping that the things turn out the way they want yeah they're taking a gamble maybe also the shape of water like they're kind of just hoping that they can squeak by and meanwhile the forces of oppression are trying to crush them obviously it's also relevant to dunkirk and darkest hour oh and yeah the advertising guy trying to get his job back in the shape of water he always has hope uh, yeah. yeah and then themes about otherness and exclusion and feeling like you don't fit in can definitely ladybird ladybird by your name yeah shape of water yeah the um the underdog or the outcasts. There's a lot better representation this year from women, uh, women, female characters in general being powerful. There's a female um, director a nominated. Color, people of color. Yeah. Oh, I think power struggles were kind I kept mentioning coming back to that as a theme. Like I, um, people trying to gain control, like in Phantom Thread, they were having a power struggle. In Three right. Billboards, she's having a power struggle with like the police. Um, and Domination versus submission. Yeah, exactly. I think that was a very prominent theme. I mean, that's personally why I think Frances McDormand is going to win, just because it was so... For best actress. Or shocking or, or interesting. Yeah, for best actress or interesting to see this woman who is able to hold her own in all these different situations. Yeah, I mean, she definitely got into that angry character and did all the little like nuanced facial expressions and all of that. Let's see. I don't know if I can personally rank all nine movies, but if I had to pick my, like my top three, I would definitely say shape of water is up there. I personally see a lot of good things in Dunkirk that I think will make it a popular like pick. Mm-hmm. And then lady bird in general was pretty cohesive. Cause isn't it like, I think I was reading the Oscars they, you have to rank the nine, and then they um, take out the bottom nine, and then they do another round and take out the bottom one. So it's it's like the movie that... I think you're right. Yeah, it's like the movie that is just... It's not everyone's favorite, but it's like the least worst voted movie. <laughs> also, it's usually like they pick half movies that are sort of popular entertainment that people will have most likely actually seen, and then half of them indie just like random movies that like small indie films. Or like yeah, I wouldn't have seen. Okay, well, I ordered my movie. I ordered them, but we <laughs> might we're gonna completely be inversed except for The Shape of Water because I actually, if I'm being completely honest and just thinking about all nine, like which one. Mm-hmm did I enjoy the most and wasn't boring and I liked it. It would be The Shape of Water would be my first one. But then my second would be Call Me By Your Name because I did appreciate, I don't know, I was aroused by this movie. That's um, good. So yes, <laughs> I was as, as an unexpected target audience of a, a love story between two men. Um, and yeah, then I... Reincarnated gay man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... And then, I don't know, I can see Get Out not being nominated, 
because it doesn't seem something they would typically nominate, but I picked it as my third favorite movie um, just because yeah. I, I did enjoy it. definitely was strong. Yeah, and then, I don't know, I just put a lot of the other ones at the bottom, like then Phantom Thread, Lady Bird, Three Billboards, and then I put The Post, Darkest Hour, and Dunkirk as my least favorite ones. The British and political films? Yeah, I, I guess I have a, a, a taste, or a certain taste, I guess. <laughs> so I also ha- I made a little list of movies that I think they definitely should have nominated, and my number one pick for this is just going to be Logan, which... Oh, would if it had been nominated, it would have been my second favorite film of the year, just because um, for a comic book movie, like it doesn't feel like a comic book movie, like it's very dark and the themes are very dense, but then it does end up being about hope as well, and then all the performances are really strong, like Hugh Jackman is great in it, and Patrick Stewart is great, and the little girl who plays the clone is amazing, like she's practically mute throughout the movie too, so she's doing a bunch of face acting. And there's like, it has sort of a surprising plot, like it doesn't go where you expect it to, and the ending scene is very strong. Like it makes pretty much everyone who sees it choke up by the end. Spoilers, basically, Wolverine dies, because his healing factor is kind of failing. So then they put up a cross, and the last scene of the movie is the little girl like tips the cross over, so it makes an X. I don't know, for some reason <laughs> that always gets me. Oh, I, so this, that, uh, Logan is your first snub. These are the Oscars snubs. <laughs> yeah. One movie that I'm really surprised they didn't nominate is The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which is one of the most bizarre movies I've seen, period. Definitely one of the hmm. strangest movies I've seen in this year. So that's the movie where they have the actor who plays George in Dunkirk. And basically the plot of the movie is that um, Colin Farrell is this heart surgeon, and it's implied that he lets this kid's father die mm. because, I don't know, he wasn't good enough or something. <laughs> And it's just like, um, have you seen The Lobster? It has that same, like, sort of dialogue tone. Mm, no, I have not seen that one. Yeah, everyone just sort of talks in this very particular, very off-putting and alienating way, and has Nicole Kidman in it, too, being, like, very strange. And basically, I don't know, it's just very dark and very, like, um, surreal. Like, there's this whole musical uh, moment that's set to that, we're all gonna burn, burn, burn. Oh. that We're gonna burn, burn, burn. Oh. Yes, <laughs> I don't know. I just like dark movies, so I would definitely say that one. Uh, Mother is another one that I thought was really good and really strange and dark, but not that hard to understand if you see the whole movie. So that's another one I'm surprised they didn't nominate, but I think it's because it wasn't very popular either among critics or among audiences. (laughs) (laughs) I'm also really surprised they didn't nominate Blade Runner 2049, because I think a lot of people really liked that and thought it was like a good sequel. And then I also put It, because first of all, I feel like that's an actually pure horror movie. And I also think it's a really good ad of the Stephen King novel which I think is pretty good and it has like some really great kid performances it's well directed the scary moments are scary though kind of cheesy too but overall I think it like it has a good message I also heard the square was good though I haven't seen that and then I guess you could make a case for Thor Ragnarok though personally I wouldn't but it was very entertaining and well made and funny yeah I just would uh, I think my favorite movie of the year was Girls Trip so (laughs) that would never get nominated by the Oscars but I thought that one was like um, nice and it was like actually funny and then it's like women getting along and like being friends so I appreciate the message yeah I don't know why the Oscars always snub uh, comedies like I don't think a comedy's ever won I realized for the Golden Globes they split them up like comedies and musicals and then dramas for best picture but the Oscars is just like best picture and then they never pick comedies I mean there was that year that they famously claimed The Martian was a comedy which I mean it has some funny elements because I think that's supposed to be a comedy (laughs) what? 
I didn't know that they tried to say that. <laughs> oh, I also think it's weird that they didn't nominate uh, The Last Jedi, just because I also think that was a movie that was a lot more subversive than people probably expected. Mm-hmm. And like pretty interesting in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. also wonder woman kind of got snubbed even though a lot of people like that mm, I, yeah i feel like i don't do you think they would nominate superhero movies though pretty much the only one they've ever nominated was the dark knight but i would say logan's slightly better than well not better uh i would say logan's comparable to that okay <laughs> so i do think it's i do think it's really weird they didn't even mention logan but mm. whatever Oh, and I did want to mention Coco, I thought was really good. Like, they always just, you know, silo that off as an animated movie, but it's actually probably one of the better movies I've seen all year, hmm. just in general. And that one has, like, surprisingly dark themes and stuff in it, too. And mm-hmm. amazing animation, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I think that one should have deserved to be, like, nominated for Best Picture, just in general. And then, who do you think will actually win, though, out of the nine that are nominated? Oh, wait, you didn't have any more also-rans? No, I really just, I don't even, I'm trying to remember what was even out this year. I just remember, I saw Girls Trip three times in theaters. That's, like, (laughs) my entire year of movies. Um, I personally feel like they'll either continue the trend, like for having nominated, they'll just give it to Get Out for being different or whatever, but... To seem less racist, you mean? (laughs) I mean, I really hope they would just give it to Shape of Water, because like I said, I think that's probably the strongest film, but personally, I think they'll probably give it to The Post, just because that's kind of a gimme, or... Oh, gosh. Um, Call Me By Your Name, like they're always showering Oscars to like Brookback Mountain and stuff like that. So I could see that, or they'll probably pick Dunkirk, just because it is, like, the most classically sort of um, well-made one, I don't know. Yeah, I could see Dunkirk winning, um, yeah, um, wait, has Guillermo del Toro won a Best Picture yet? Did he win for Pan's Labyrinth? I think he won Best Director for that movie, but not Best Picture, but I have to look it up. Because it might be his time, like, they might be like, okay, now we'll give it to him for this, or something. If he hasn't won Best Picture before. I mean, I definitely think that's why they'll give um, Gary Oldman the Oscar for, for Best Actor. Best Performance, because he should have won like a billion Oscars by now, but for some reason they never uh, gave him one. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he'd probably win. That's his time for Best Actor. Yeah. I don't know. I think that, yeah, I feel like that Timothy guy from Lady Bird and Call Me By Your Name, I guess he's on the up and up to be like... An, an Oscar favorite or something actor. Oh, so Pan's Labyrinth won just for art direction, cinematography, and makeup. Oh. I should have won more. Yeah, so I'm thinking maybe Shape of Water, maybe they'll be like, this is his time to win. I mean, again, I feel like no other movie we've discussed even compares. Like, I feel like that's the best one. I had the least criticisms of that one. <laughs> I just unabashedly loved it. Like, I loved it. Like, that's why I go to the movies to feel like that magic and that, like, fantasy and to feel swept up and mm-hmm. go with the visuals and, like, and empathize with the characters. It had stuff for me to think about. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, like, it just wasn't boring. <laughs> like, I don't know. I guess the Oscars have a particular, the Academy has a particular taste of movie a lot of times. <laughs> Yeah, they're pretty predictable. I mean, it's usually, like, the whole way this works is you have a team of people, like a a group of Oscar voters, who all get sent these screeners, and it's usually, like, this old guard of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So they always vote for the same type of film, and they're always scared of the same type of thing, like female sexuality. Like, if anything, Mm -hmm. that's why Shape of Water might not win, because they're always, like, really conservative about that (laughs) stuff. 
Yeah. I know it's weird. Like if you show a woman masturbating, then it's an automatic R. Like some it used to be an automatic NC seventeen. Yeah, but Dunkirk was PG thirteen, and that was actually very traumatic. Yeah, that didn't make any sense to me because that one did have like a, a lot of shooting and stabbings and stuff. Yeah, I, I was like, wow, that just shows that yeah, sex gets you an R rating and uh, violence doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> So yeah, um, the Oscars will just do what they always do, and you know they're always horrible and boring. But I'm sure something dramatic will happen, and we'll talk about tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, all well, they'll accidentally announce the wrong winner or whatever happened before. It's only announced the best winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's gonna sort of wrap it up for our big Oscar uh, exploration adventure, mm-hmm. Oscar time discussion. <laughs> Yes, our discussion of the Oscar-nominated Best Picture movies. <laughs> anyway, it was good going through all the movies with you. Yes, good chatting with you. All right, um, <laughs> so that'll be it for this episode of Cinemas and Chats. All right, talk to you next time. Yeah, talk to you next time. <laughs>